Thank you so much. I bring greetings from my wife, Lori. We have been married now 50 years. And uh, dating... <laughs> dating 54 years and married for 50, and 37 of those were happy. And... <laughs> Now, six kids and 22 grandkids and two great-grandkids. The bad part is I never wanted to be married to a great-grandmother, but we're here now. And <laughs> but, wow, well, I enjoyed the time with the men, but while wow, coming here today, the scenery has improved. I'll tell you the... the uh... But I see humor in a lot of things. It starts with the mirror in the morning and goes just right from there. But I never, ever joke about the souls of men or the seriousness of the Bible. I don't, I don't tease about that. From the day I got saved till this moment, I've never told a joke about hell or laughed at a joke about hell. I see nothing humorous about that. I take a lot uh, what the Bible has to say very, very seriously. But I was in a church in Georgia, and a woman came up to me afterwards, and she shook my hand, and she said, I just have one question for you. Do you even know what's going on? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm pretty cosmopolitan. I, th I think I pretty alert, but I said, what are you referring to? Well, the country. Have you seen the way the country's going? Yes, I have. And and so-and-so just quit our church, and then there's pastors that are running off with the secretaries, and boy, she listed. And I told her, I said, yep, I'm, I'm aware of all of that. But I said, I also know about so-and-so that just got married, and so-and-so that just had a baby, and so-and-so that had been praying for their daddy to get saved, and he got saved, and... I said, I have just enough burdens to keep me humble, but just enough blessings to keep me encouraged. And I said, if I talked to you long enough, we would both jump off a bridge. <laughs> it's not like there's nothing serious. Pastors live on the muddy end of the stream. They never come to see me when they want to start smoking, but they call me when they're in the cancer ward. They never call me when they're climbing in the back seat of a car. They call me when their daughter's pregnant out of wedlock and tried to commit suicide. They never call me when they're hunting around on the internet for some paper dolls. But they call me when they have divorce papers. Pastors live on the muddy end of the stream. And so I pastored for 42 years there at Oshkosh, and this is my 11th year traveling full-time, but I am 100% all the time, every time, for the pastor. It's not that I think they're all everything in a bowl of cherries, but look, they need our support and encouragement I'm just for them. Anybody that would battle at the battlefront like pastors do in good fundamental Baptist churches, 
I want to be their friend. I'm just for them. Now, if you could only come to one service, tonight would be the one to come to. I got it. I really, honestly, I would be preaching to and about and for the youth tonight. I don't, I don't always do that, but I am so burdened for our next generation. And so uh, be in prayer for that service. Today, Titus, did I tell you to turn to the book of Titus, if it helps, page 241 in my Bible? <laughs> Somebody else with a Cambridge. Um, but you know that the Apostle Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, called to serve out of, you know, separate me, Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13. He goes and up into Asia Minor and starts those churches, comes back and reports at Antioch, then goes back out confirming the churches on his second missionary journey. He's in the middle of that, and here's the Macedonian call, come over into Macedonia and help us. He goes into northern Greece, and while he's in northern Greece, he goes to Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea up there. Then he goes down south to Achaia, and the southern half of Greece is where you find Athens and Corinth. And Paul has a great ministry in Corinth and spends time there. And I, I love, love the, the Corinthian church and all of the things that were taught there. And during his missionary journeys, if you read the book of Acts and through Paul's epistles, you'll find 34, 35 names of different traveling companions with him in his ministry. Now, at the end of his journeys, he goes to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, and they weep that they're going to see him no more. He goes to Jerusalem, he's betrayed. He takes a ship uh, to Rome. He appeals to Caesar, uh, the storm Eurocled, and all these things that happen, those of you that read your New Testament, and the Apostle Paul is about to pass off the scene, and he writes what we call the pastoral epistles to these preacher boys. Now, it would be helpful to understand from the whom shall I send and who will go for us, here am I, send me, the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth to him walking by the Sea of Galilee at 30 years of age and calling the 12 disciples, to then traveling with these companions, and now from handpicking everything, moving from dealing with Israel as a nation to the age of grace, the church age, the New Testament church, now we're going to move from hand-picking each guy to, hey, there's not going to be any more apostles. They're not going to be seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in person. Paul is one born out of due time. And so now he's going to give to Timothy and Titus, here's the kind of pastors you should have. Because why? There's not going to be somebody to handpick them. And so now we're looking at the caliber of men that should be the pastors. 
I'm not preaching on any of that, but I want you to have a frame around the picture of how we get to this passage, okay? That this is now kind of handing the baton to the local church. Hey, you guys, here's what you're going to do. Now, Paul and Titus, right, Randy King and Pastor DeMichaels, the most important thing for anybody is to get saved. Trusting Christ, the shed blood of Christ, the most important thing that any of us do. But there's a lot of Bible besides just being saved. And now God gives us this so we know how we can serve him, how we can please him, how he'll be worshipped, how he'll be honored. We know this. We tremble at the word of God because here's how we know what pleases him. And so I'm talking today to a local church and I'm thrilled to be friends here. I'm actually a member here. I just don't tithe. <laughs> I send my tithe back there, but I love being here. But could you take it from a friend today? I want to help. Stand with me as we read our passage. Follow as I read Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due time times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Notice carefully, verse 4, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. And then would you read out loud with me verse 5. This is a centerpiece of what we're doing today Titus 1 in verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this good church and all those that labor week in and week out alongside Pastor DeMichaels and they, they serve you here, and they're trying to reach lost souls and support missions and glorify God and obey the Bible. And Lord, would this be an encouragement, a confirming voice to continue in a good vein, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So here we are, and now kind of the handing of the baton, the transition, Paul says to Titus, now look, I want you to be in Crete. For this cause left I thee in Crete. Now Crete, if you look at the Mediterranean Sea, right there in the middle, there's this huge island. It's 170 miles long. It's 35 miles wide. It's a great big ribbon of land out there off the coast of um, Greece, and he says, for this cause left I thee in Crete, Paul traveling, he's going to end his life uh, being uh, in the Mamertine prison in Rome, so he says to Titus, hey, 
You know why I left you on that island? To set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Now hear me carefully. This is a monumental task. You take almost anybody and say, hey, I want you to leave your country, go as a missionary, and go to a foreign land. Learn the culture, learn the people, preach the gospel, get them saved, get them trained, then raise up bishops and elders, preachers that can lead the congregation, and then I want you to disciple those people. And then when you're done with that, move to the next town and do it again. Now look, this island sticks up out of the water because it's primarily a great big mountain sticking out, a mountain range. But around the perimeter of that island are 200 cities at this time. Now can you imagine? Is this a lifetime commitment for Titus? You think this might take every ounce of energy, every fiber of his being from now till he dies? I'm saying... Hey, I left you there. And then he goes through and he says, here's what that elder is supposed to look like. And, and, and look, look, this, what I'm, what I'm preaching today is, let's not lower the bar. This is of God. The church is his idea. It's his institution. We, we want to do our best to be what he wants us to be. And look what it says here in verse 6. We'll just run through it. Verse 6. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the, husband, the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, tempered, holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Now listen to me. I just want to tell you how tall a cotton that really is. You talk to any honest pastor and he'll say, wow, I, I aspire to be all these things, but I, I can't say, I, wow, I, I love good men, but there's times I don't want to be around people. I'm a lover of hospitality, but there's times I want to hide. Hey, uh, not soon angry, not self-willed. Uh, hey, I still got a ribbon about this wide through my backbone that gets angry. If you were married to my wife, no. Yeah, um, I'm saying, look, just all God has to use down here is us humanoids. And Paul's saying to Titus, look, I'll tell you, here's the guy that you want to lead. Here's what you're going to craft. I want you to ordain elders in every city. And if he's blameless, talk to any pastor, ask him, how do you square with that standard? He'll say, well, I... Man, wow, I'm doing my best, but I can't say I never had an evil thought, or I can't, I mean, come on. 
So I don't want to be artificial in this. Let's just be real. But God, in his giving Paul this, is, look, church, this is what pastors are supposed to look like. Now, Titus, it's not just his living example. It's not just his relationship to the family. It's not just what he's like as a person. More than that, he's got to have sound doctrine. He's able to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. He's able to correct them, to withstand them. He's one that'll battle at the battlefront. He'll stand for good and for God, and he'll be able to refute the false teaching. And there's a lot of nice people that aren't real good, ferocious debaters or whatever. And so he says, Titus, look, I left Joey Crete to ordain elders in every city and set in order the things that are wanting. When people say to me, oh, Brother King, have you seen the way the country's going? Yes, yes. That's why they need a pastor. Have you seen the shenanigans people can get into? Yes, yes. That's why they need the Bible. Have you seen the suicide? Yes, yes. That's why they need the hope of salvation. I get it. Uh, Vance Hefner said the conditions are serious, but the church isn't. You don't have to convince me the need of the hour. The Bible is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer to the need of the hour. But I love what we waltz into in the next verse. Verse 12. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans, that's those people that live on Crete, for those of you that... The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Now, I don't even know what slow bellies is. Sounds like maybe lazy. <laughs> the Cretans are liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Therefore, meet them halfway. Therefore, understand their condition. Therefore, try your best to relate to them. Therefore, no, 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 no. That is not what it says. Hey, Titus, here's how this looks. You were traveling with me. You're my own son in the faith. I'm taking off. You're in charge. I'm passing the baton. And now I left you on this island, 170 miles by 35 miles, 200 cities, and I want you to raise up. You set in order the things that are wanting, and oh, are they wanting. And then ordain elders in every city. But here, here is the raw material you're starting with. The Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply. Now hear me. It takes courage to battle at the battlefront. It takes courage to stand for right and not trim the message for fear of offending people. It takes courage to say, hey, I don't care where I find you. 
here's where we're going. Here's what we're trying to get you to. Here's what we aspire to. Listen, this takes courage. When I, sometimes I travel and the pastor will go, oh, Brother King, you wouldn't believe the carnality in our church. We got people, half the people got liquor in their kitchen and we got people going to the movie house and Brother King, we got, they're, they're letting their teen marry a lost person from a different church and I just can't, and I go, ooh, Ooh, maybe they're Christians. Maybe your town's full of Christians. Maybe you got sinners. That's why they need a pastor. That's why they need a man of God to stand up on his hind legs with leather lungs and preach the truth without fear or favor of man. I want to be popular. I want to be well-liked. I want to have people think I'm, I'm pretty reasoned and balanced and understanding and all of that stuff. But I have a message. And the one who called me and put me in the ministry said, you speak for me. Any man of God, any man of God that really believes the Bible says, well, the way to get this accomplished is not to get worldly with them. The way to get this accomplished is to preach the truth. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And now watch, watch what it says. Verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Look, they have plenty of religion on Crete. It's just not the truth. They have plenty of Jewish fables. Verse 15, under the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. You say, wow, wow, uh, I don't think I want to go to this island. I don't think I, uh, this looks to me like a, a, a big job. Look at what it goes on to say. They, verse 16, profess that they know God. But in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. You know what reprobate is? Reprobate is when they think good is evil and evil is good. People say to me all the time, Brother King, can you believe our culture now? Now, the most damnable person is a fundamental Bible thumper. The most, well, the guy that's causing all the trouble is the Bible thumper. I mean, Wow, uh, we could do anything we wanted with unfettered freedom if it wasn't for those guys that keep sticking the Bible in our face. Nancy Pelosi, let's get the Ten Commandments off the halls of Congress because it's a hostile work environment. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. How do you expect us to work under conditions like that? No, listen, listen to me. The reason I respect pastors is because I know what a job this is. I get what an assignment this is. From this raw material, they're reprobate. The Bible says in John 16, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. How upside down can you get? Let's kill the people that are telling us the truth so we can go off and do whatever we feel like doing 
We're, we're running headlong to that day in this generation. That's, that's what it says. It's, it's no surprise. He says, Titus, now look, uh, I'm leaving you here, and I want you to set in order the things that are wanting, and oh, are they wanting. You don't get to relate to the culture. If there's anything countercultural, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's anything that's opposed to this world, it's the innocent dying for the guilty. The Bible gospel message will never be assimilated by this world. It's only the grace of God that they can see the way of the truth, be forgiven, and have salvation. And wow, don't ever try to blend this. And so I want to emphasize, look, and I'm, I'm not as mad as I think right now, but look what it says in verse uh, 13 of our chapter. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply. Get to chapter 2, verse 1. Hey, hey, uh, here's how you're going to do this, Titus. Here's the formula. Here's the prescription. Here's the seminar on how to do this. But speak thou, verse 1, the things which become sound doctrine. We live in a very squishy age where, I'll just give you an example. I'm pastoring. They open a gay pride bar in our town. Now, I, I, I love people no matter what their background, but I don't want that soiling my community. And so a man at our church comes Pastor King, that gay bar, I, I don't want, who knows who that met, that may draw in. How about could our men of our church, it's not open on Saturday mornings, could we go to that block and across the street and a handful of men just have prayer that God would close that bar? Well, hey, hey. I'm the pastor, the guy in our church is serious as a, can be about it, and I, I said, well, absolutely. So on, on the next Sunday, I said, look, the first Saturday of each month, Al and whoever would like to join him, not the women, not the children, but whoever, whatever man would like to join, it's not open, but we'd like you to go across the street from the gay bar and pray that God close that thing in our community. That's pretty innocuous to me. We're not exactly burning the place. Three families in our church came to see me. Uh, Pastor King, we're, we're quitting the church. We have a grandson who's gay, and we don't. if he ever comes with us, we don't want it to be a, a hostile environment. And... And boy, you making that announcement, it just sends a message that, listen to me, listen to me. These are people that claim to be saved, and they love me, ragingly handsome as I am. <laughs> but they walked out the doors of our church never to return, because I had the gall to say, we're going to pray that the gay bar closes. We live in a culture where pastors face pressure like that 
And I don't just mean, oh, what if it's the biggest tither in the church? Look, pastors are under pressure all the time to trim the message. And so when a man of God stands up and says, look, I'm I'm just going to call it the way it is here. That's what makes me want to just be a cheerleader. The little boy in the corner saying, me too, me too. I'm for what he's doing there because I know there's compromise all around us. And I don't mean to be pugnacious. I don't mean to be, but I have no choice. I have to preach the things that become sound doctrine, it says here. And then he goes through, and I love this. The aged men, be sober, just, holy, temperate. Then it goes through that they, the aged women likewise. And then that they may teach the young women. And then the young men also exhort to be sober-minded. And you say, well, why don't he just preach the Bible? How come he's meddling in our lives? That is preaching the Bible. It takes a man of God to say This shows up first and foremost in your home, in your family. Set in order the things that are wanting. Boy, if there's any a place, any place today that needs help, it's our homes. Hey, speak the things that become sound doctrine. Dads, moms, children, Every one of you need to be conforming to the Bible, following the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, look, and I'm going to say this, and don't take this wrong, but if I wanted to, I could preach the Bible and never hurt anybody. I could teach on all the beauties in the types and archetypes of the Old Testament temple. The bell and the pomegranate, the bell and the pomegranate, the bell and the pomegranate on the row of the high priest as he goes into the holiest of holies. I could talk about the ephod, the urim and the thummim. I could spend my whole time talking about the beauties of they didn't leave his bones in Egypt. A pastor can hide in that Bible and never talk about what's actually going on in front of him. And I'm saying, Paul says to Titus, look, look, you speak the things that become sound doctrine and you start with the home and family. It's not that the Old Testament things aren't important. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But when you see a need, you gotta, you gotta address the need. Well, who are you to tell me? Hey, your argument's not with me. It's what the book says. You want to talk to somebody, talk to God about it. And then it goes on in 7 and 8, and it says, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Boy, this is where the rubber really meets the road. Pastors, it's not just getting it off their chest. It's not just castigating and maligning. It's not just criticizing the people in front of him. He's supposed to be living it so they see what an example it is for them to follow. Notice how it says it here. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, verse 7 of chapter 2. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, 
And then verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why? That he that's of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. There's going to be opposition. There are going to be those of the contrary part. There are going to be those who would love to draw you down or bring you down or diminish you in some way or another. There are going to be those of the contrary part. They say, as long as you're getting bit in the rear, you know you're still in the lead. But that's part of leadership. That's just part of leadership. There are going to be some people that don't understand or don't like what you're doing. When I pastored, a guy came to see me. Pastor King, I've got to talk to you right now. I am quitting the church because you grovel at the feet of the people who are wealthy. You're just currying favor among the rich people in the church. Now, the first thought in my mind is, man, I wished I'd have thought of that. <laughs> I'm not even that clever. But, you know, whenever you're accused, it takes bigness to say, is this true? And then if it's not, to have the humility to say, why do they think that's true? Because sometimes, even though you don't intend it, you give impressions. And sometimes you have to make changes. Sometimes you have to make apologies. And so I said to him, hey, Dick, uh, why would you possibly think that? And he pulled out a piece of paper. And on there, he had every date for a year for Sunday school and for church and who I had called on to open in prayer and close in prayer at each service. And he had a ledger documenting who I had called on. You have too much time on your hands if you do this. I mean, I'm in, I'm in sheer disbelief that, but... See, I didn't cause this problem, but I did inherit it, and I do have to deal with it. And so I, he says, and he holds it right under my nose, you see this? This guy's got money, this guy's got money. You had this guy pray, and this guy pray, and this guy's a businessman, and this guy's wealthy. And I'm looking at it, and I'm going, oh, please tell me this isn't so. And then I took him out of my office and I brought him into the auditorium and I had him stand behind the pulpit. And I says, I want you to notice something here, Dick. All those names, we have a full place and always for the start of the service and for the end of the service, we have people standing. And if you'll notice, every one of those names, those are tall people. <laughs> because their head sticks up. I'm not prejudiced toward rich people. I don't take a syringe and stick it in their wallet and do ambiocentesis and see if it's green. 
tall people. I'm prejudiced toward tall people. And I said, and look at you. You're five foot six. And you sit in the back row behind nine orangutans. And I'm not going to ever call on you as long as you're hiding back there. And then you're unemployed. Everybody in the church is richer than you are. I'm only saying there are going to be those of the contrary part. But let them be the ones that are ashamed. The preacher has to be a good example. And that's that's a lot easier said than done, folks. And then, of course, you get it. He goes on, and what you spend your most time at home, the second most important facet of your life is the workplace. So he goes through, exhort servants to serve their masters, not purloining, don't steal from work, don't be lazy at work, give your due, be a good testimony in the workplace. Set in order the things that are wanting. It finishes chapter two with, look, it doesn't say, well, you know, I mean, they were liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, defiled, reprobate. They think right is wrong and wrong is right. Their conscience is defiled. Hey, if you can get them just halfway straightened around. No, no, it's every aspect of their life that in all things, Christ receives the preeminence. We're not stopping halfway. Well, look, when I pastored, we had a guy come, and he was smelly, he was addicted, he smoked like a chimney, he hadn't been to hell, but he smelled like he'd been there, and he got saved. Now look, if I didn't believe the grace of God could help somebody, I'd get out of the ministry. I don't care where I find them. I know where we're going. We're going to try to get them here. But there's a principle in John 15. Every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And my job is to put them in a place where they could bear some fruit so God could do some purging that they could bring forth more fruit. I'm not looking down a condescending nose of, of criticism or, hey, I'm glad when I got saved they were patient with me. But my, my first two weeks after I got saved, I'm at a Wednesday night prayer meeting, I raised my hand, I said, hey, pray for, for my friends. Uh, I was in college for mechanical engineering. And I had asked my friends to come watch me get baptized in January. And they said, we're not going to a Baptist church. <laughs> and I said, look, we'll all go out drinking. I'll buy the beer. You just, you come and watch me get baptized and we'll go celebrate. On Wednesday night, God is my witness. I raised my hand the week before Christmas. Pray, I got four friends coming. They're going to come watch me get baptized. And we're going to go down to the tavern and celebrate. And I'm buying and if any of you want to come, I'll buy for you too. <laughs> In a fundamental Baptist church. Right? If you don't know, you don't know. 
I'm glad they were patient with me. The miracle is the pastor kept a straight face <laughs> in prayer meeting. But that guy, I said to him, hey, I'm so glad you came. We have an important role for you. He says, what's that? I said, well, between Sunday school and church, we've got these junior high boys that are half hyena, and they, they go in the bathroom and they horse around in there, and pretty soon they're locking doors and throwing toilet paper in the next stall and screwing around with the soap dispenser, and I need a bathroom policeman. Could you come and just stand outside the bathroom? I don't want you to go in with him or anything, but just if you hear noise in there, just push the door open and say, boys, finish up your business and come on out. Just kind of help get him out of there. You know, he came the next Sunday and he had a, sh a dress shirt on. Man, if I'm going to be the, the bathroom policeman, then i got to look the part. Every branch in me that beareth fruit. He purged. That guy's in full-time ministry today. You got to start someplace. But Paul says to Titus, look, you, you, you preach on the home, then you preach on the workplace. And notice one of the key things for people growing, and I don't want to uh, miss this. Look with me, if you will, at the end of chapter 2. Notice it's not trimmed the message, but in verse 12, teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. These are the people that are liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, Jewish fables, and reprobates. Here's the message. Denying ungodliness and worldly Learn to say no to yourself. Your lower passions don't have to run you. Just because you experience an emotion does not give you permission to act on it. I felt like, so what? Get in line. I feel like punching you. <laughs> we don't get to do what we feel like. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And here's the key. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. When you get people... If they're worried about the pastor catching them or what the church thinks, they'll never be what Jesus Christ wants them to be. But you give them the fear of God and that certain knowledge. Someday you, you answer to a holy God. Someday Jesus Christ is going to come back and you're going to wish you'd done more in that hour. That's, that's the key. Get them looking at the Lord Jesus, not at the church, not at a man. Well, what if the pastor knew I did this? God does know what you're doing. Look to the Lord Jesus. And notice what it says, who gave himself, verse 14, for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And notice verse 15, Paul to Titus, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise it. Again, I just want to say, hey, he put the bar up here and said, look, just let them know. 
You're calling people to godliness. They're looking at the Lord Jesus. You're not building a personal kingdom. You're trying to get people to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Chapter 3, and my time is gone, but chapter 3, okay, let's see. We do the family, then we do the workplace. Now it's the neighborhood. You're a citizen. Teach them to pray for those that are in authority, have a right response to government, right? And look, they were the ministers of God to thee for good, to reward those that do right and punish those that are evil. There is a place for government. If somebody's going to do wicked things and rape a woman and molest a child, I want them to feel the full brunt of civil justice. Have a right relationship in your community. Uh, It goes on, maintain good works, your neighborhood. Everybody around you should know, hey, I'll, I'll shovel their sidewalk some morning. Uh, they're not up yet, but I'm up, and I'll, I'll do their sidewalk beside mine. It doesn't hurt to bake a cherry pie and go next door and just halfway neighbor somebody. Leave the door open so you can give them the gospel. Maintain good works for necessary uses. says it three times in this chapter. And then it finishes with, and heretic, after the first and admi- second admonition, reject, knowing he's subverted of himself. Strong churches are going to attract weirdos. The gospel light attracts a lot of strange bugs. We're all part of the body of Christ, but we have extra belly buttons and armpits that come. I'm not naming names, I'm just saying. Once in a while... You have to say, no, you're not going to stay here. You're going to have to go eat your own soapbox because you're not going to soil these people that I've poured my life into. And then he says, goodbye. Now hear me carefully, and, I, and I'm done. For this cause left I thee in Idaho. It's in the Greek. If you knew the Greek like I do... Hear me, as much as anything is written to our generation, the fully developed Gentile church, for us today, it's this book. My whole ministry, I use the book of Titus as our outline for discipleship. Get them saved no matter where you come from. Teach them right family relationships, workplace relationships, the fear of God, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, sound doctrine. Be a good example. Help them to be good citizens. Help them be good neighbors. Every aspect of their life is supposed to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're done with that, go to Ryrie or Spokane. Listen to me. This is a huge challenge for the ministry. It's why we're praying the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. There's a need everywhere. And so today, I'm just so burdened that first of all, you understand any real man of God 
in this generation has a huge task in front of them. Those that will stand to the task, those that take it seriously, those that will rebuke sharply, those that say, let no man despise thee, those that will say, look, we're not lowering the bar because it hurts your feelings. We're not lowering the bar because that's more palatable to a carnal crowd. We're not We're trying to raise up from these midst lions and champions for God that some of you could be the elders and the leaders for the next generation. We make no apology for it whatsoever. We got our marching orders. I thank Christ Jesus, thy Lord, who hath enabled me in that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. There are churches all across this country where the pastor talks so poorly about the ministry. Oh, it's hard. Pray for me. By the time I'm done with Sunday, I gotta take Monday and Tuesday off. The ministry would be fine if it wasn't for the people. I'll tell you what, I'm overworked and I'm underpaid. Nobody really appreciates what I... They talk like that, and then they wonder why there's not a single young person in their church that wants to go into the ministry. They consider it a fate worse than death. I hope God doesn't curse me with that. I'm going to go be a... And more than that, the parents don't want their kids in the ministry. Listen, that's not the way it's supposed to be. This is a high and holy calling. This is a wonderful privilege. The most intoxicatingly happy thing you can do is be in the center of the will of God. And when people get victory and love the Lord and walk in obedience and they're happy together, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to walk together in unity. It's the most joyous, fulfilling thing I'm more happy today than I've ever been in my whole life because I get to do this. And so my, my plea, just a couple pleas. First is, pray for your pastor that he always has the strength and the perception and the courage and the love to minister as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. More than that, pray for churches as the culture declines it's going to be more and more difficult to stand for truth in our day and generation. And then thirdly, pray that God would raise up laborers. The next town needs it. The next town needs it. I was praying last night with one of the men here, and he said, hey, Lord, bless this guy who's starting a church here, and this guy who's ministering in a small church here, and this guy who's ministering here. And God bless this guy. That culture, that mentality, that passion, that love, that burden, that sees it from God's greater view. Don't, 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 don't say, oh, man, I got Cretans all around here. Maybe they are Cretans. That's why they need a pastor. That's why I left you there. That's what we're doing here. It's not just to put your kids in Little League. It's not just to buy a Ford truck. We're here to please the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like heads bowed and eyes closed today. For this cause, left I thee in Crete. I wonder today who would just say in the quietness of this moment, 
I'm mighty glad that I'm part of a church that uh, has standing for the truth even today in a difficult age. I'm mighty thankful for my church and my pastor. Would you just slip your hand up and put your rabbit down? I'm, I'm mighty thankful for this. I don't take it for granted in any way. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Who would say today in just the quietness of this moment, I want to be all I can be. I know the pastor's trying to help me. My home, my workplace, every aspect of my life, and what he's trying to help me with, what the Holy Spirit's teaching me, what the Bible plainly says. I want to do what pleases the Lord. My eyes are on Jesus Christ, and it's my heart, my passion. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. The pastor's efforts are not wasted on me. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? I get it. He's trying to help me, and I'm mighty thankful for it. God bless you. God bless you. Thank me. Put it down. And then finally today, Brother King, I'm praying that God would raise up elders in every city, that we would be producing men and women, champions for God, without apology, without fear or favor of man, without trying to impress anybody. But Lord, would you raise up from our midst champions, men of God, women for God. Lord, if you would do your shopping here among our children, among our youth group, among our young marrieds, God, do your shopping here. I'm praying that he'd send forth laborers into his harvest right from Treasure Valley Baptist Church. Would you just slip your hand up? I'm praying God raise up from our midst young men, young women. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Lord, you've seen the hands. You know the hearts. And Lord, maybe we are among Christians. That's why they need a pastor. That's why they need men of God. That's why they need churches. Lord, help us to speak with all authority. Help us not trim the message. Help us never lower the bar. Help us never compromise the message. They're going to die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. Lord, they're supposed to grow in grace. They're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ. They're supposed to... Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And Lord, that seems like a daunting task. If we're going to produce what you expect from us, we're going to need your help for it. And we ask for it now in the name and through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a verse of invitation. If God spoke into your heart today and you'd like to find a place at the altar, Pray for the church, pray for the pastor, pray for our young people. Maybe God's spoken to you about another need. Would you find a place at the altar? Lord, help me take heed to the scriptures and be what you'd have me to be. This is important stuff. We're doing business with God. You come as God speaks to hearts, brother. Let's turn to 399. 399. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to.
I don't think I can add anything to that. Praise the Lord. A lot to think about, amen? A lot to contemplate, and um, it's one of those messages that'll put a little more backbone in all of us and just reset our understanding of what God wants us to do, what we're here for. And that word understanding, that's something that I've been praying more and more about. In fact, in my personal Bible reading, my little notes, my little prayer notes, like that word just keeps coming up. And I'm, if you could pray for me as your pastor for one thing, it's, it's understanding. Because to have wisdom is to know how to act on something. But first of all, you've got to know on what you're acting. And so I've been asking him for understanding. Help me to see things always for what they are. And then, of course, then have the wisdom and the courage to act upon them. But uh, that's been one of my biggest prayer requests lately. And if you could help me with that, I'd appreciate it. I'm going to ask Brother uh, Ken Doty to come on up and close us in a word of prayer. Before we do that, let me remind you, Brother King, did you say you're going to preach on the youth, to the youth, about the youth tonight? All of that, okay? Let's look forward to that. Let's be here. Let's get our young people here. And uh, let's encourage others to come. If somebody didn't make it this morning and you think that would profit them tonight, uh, let's encourage them to be here. All right, Brother Doty, would you close us? Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Father, we thank you for that exhortation on the church. Father, there's a lot of things going on in the church, from the lay persons to the pastors to, Father, just the people in the pew. Lord, we, Father, do pray for wisdom and understanding. Father, we do pray for our pastor, Lord, that he would give him wisdom how to discern. But God, help us to be people that are uh, happy to serve the Lord and be in the church and be happy to be together, God, and, and be willing, Father, to give an answer the hope that lies within us to whoever it may come across. So be with us today and bless this evening, this morning, but also bless this evening and get us back tonight. And Father, thank you for what we've heard. And Father, again, thank you for what you did in the past. Thank you for what you're doing today. And most of all, thank you for what you're going to do in the future. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.